This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The guy that kisses. So you can't get a more awkward title than that. I mean, I could have come up with some other doozies, but this one was about as uncomfortable as I could think of, and so I chose it. A study in the purposeful affection of the body of Christ. So with a title like that, I mean, what's interesting is a lot of people even know me as the guy that didn't kiss my wife until our wedding day. And so what kind of title is this? Uh, The guy that kisses? There are two distinctive sorts of kisses uh, that we could hallmark, and one is of a Greek word, eros, which is of a sensual nature, it's of a romantic nature, and then there's another form of kiss that is actually detailed in the Bible with uncomfortable clarity and consistency, that someone like me wriggles at the notion of teaching the pure doctrine of the word of God when this word is associated with it. The guy that kisses? You know, and this is what's funny about it, is the guy that kisses, there's actually a character in the Bible that you maybe know, that's the meaning of his name. Could you imagine you pop out of the womb and your mom names you the guy that kisses? It's a rough translation, but it's a good one. And his name is Philemon, the guy that kisses. Isn't that extraordinary? There's actually a character. In fact, an entire book in the Bible written to the guy that kisses. And so as I bring up this topic, I understand the discomfort that is inerrant. And I don't know if girls feel more naturally inclined to like messages about kisses. And we as guys are just sort of strangely awkward about it. It's not that we don't like kissing. It's that something about church, Jesus Christ, and the idea of kissing are like oil and water. And I would like to dispel that myth, and I would like to introduce you to, yes, what is maybe the ancient version of Christianity, but one that I am going to appeal to us must become a very present-day reality. It is what God does. And when he overtakes the church of Jesus Christ, he expresses himself through the church of Jesus Christ in a very specific way. So join me in this uncomfortable journey. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. They all. (laughs) And the word, by the way, for kissed in that one is a little more extreme than even the one I'm starting with in this one. And so we'll get to that, but I don't want to give away things uh, too early. Phileo, simply translated, means a kiss. And many of you have heard of a filial love, which is the love of friends, and it is a dear bond of kindred affection. So you take Anna Green Gables and match her with, who was her, her, uh, her, what was it, what was her name? No, not Gilbert. Uh, (laughs) 
Diana. Okay, I don't. I, everyone's saying it once, and it's like somehow it's blurring. Diana was her. What was the term? Her, her bosom buddy, bosom friend. Yeah, and that's that's sort of this idea. It's the bosom friend, and so however, the very specific translation of this word is it's a kiss. In the most simple expression of it, phileo is a kiss. It doesn't mean just a friend. It means a kiss. It's a tender expression of loving affection, a physical token of brotherly love, a symbol of friendship, an outward sign of deep, heartfelt kinship. So the key thing that I want you to pick up on as we progress through this message is it's an outward show of something inward. And this outward show of something inward is a very, very critical dimension of our Christian expression. And that's why it sort of entered into this discussion today is because God is doing something very beautiful in our body. And it is an inward affection that is looking for expression, effective expression, to somehow enunciate the love of God one unto another. And we've discussed it many times in the past couple weeks that the chief attribute of this body is to be our love for one another. Above all, We are to fervently love one another. Fervent love is not just a passive love like, oh yeah, I I love them. It's an actively engaged love that fervently, actively engages in expressing that love one to the other. You will know my disciples, says Jesus, by their love for one another. We will be hallmarked as the true church of Jesus Christ because of our love for one another. Well, how will they know that we love one another if there isn't an outward show of it? In other words, they may know, we may say, oh yes, I love them, but how will they know that we love each other? What is needed is something that we could hallmark as phileo. Now that will be a a carrying device to enunciate something, but it's the outward show of something, an inward affection. Salute one another with a holy Phileo. So many of you in here have heard me joke about this in the past. Uh, And in fact, I'll oftentimes bring up the scriptures I'm about to read to you here. Uh, Paul just seems to go on, you know, his little, finishes his letters and then finishes with this command. And it's awkward because all of us are like, okay, how am I supposed to appropriate that? Is he he just giving some advice in, in a general sense of how I'm supposed to just love and have affection towards each other. However, he gives a very specific statement. Give a holy kiss. Greet one another. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Okay. And so, as I've said in the body, that the way we handle Scripture is that we obey it. We do what it says. And then I usually bring up this, and I say, and in such circumstances where we don't yet know how to apply it, we still agree with it. And so, for instance, greet each other with a holy kiss. If all of us just say, all right, and then we start kissing each other, we have a very uncomfortable body. (laughs) And that's mainly because the idea of a kiss has been deranged in our culture. The American culture is not a physically affectionate one in the classic sense. We're not the ones that come up and greet. If someone greeted you with a kiss, there's a tendency to say, you're in my personal space. And the other option we have is a kiss can also be sensual to many of us in America, and as a result, 
the notion of bringing that into the pure, holy chamber of God's people is inappropriate. So how in the world are we supposed to obey that at the same time, obey the rest of Scripture to maintain purity, to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? How are we supposed to do that? Because our concept of a kiss is only sensual and romantic. It has no basis in the idea of brotherly affection. So here's just one. By the way, for those of you that wonder, you know, is it just said once? No, it's not said once. Greet you one another with a holy kiss, a holy phileo. Greet one another with the holy phileo. Greet one another with a phileo of love, says Peter. The others were Paul. And then here's another one from Paul. Greet all the brethren with a holy phileo. So that's five times, by the way that we are commanded in Scripture to greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, that's more than most things are ever expressed in Scripture that we hold as doctrinal truths in and amongst us. Do not forsake the gathering of believers. How many times does it say that? Once. And why do we do what we do? Well, because it says in Scripture we need to do this. Isn't that amazing that there's five times Okay, I'm preaching to myself by even as I say this. This is just, this is, this is an interesting one to apply. I told Sandy, I still don't have the full application of what we're supposed to do in response to this. I just know that it's there. Okay, and God is pressing something to say there needs to be an outward symbol, an outward show of something that is taking place. So it says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now here's an awkward Greek word. There's, there's certain Greek words that just sort of are not the way that we usually speak in America, uh, and this is splogon. It basically means the intestines, okay? And this is a key word. Uh, Paul uses it in certain ways. They're just like, Paul. And it's translated bowels uh, to in many translations. And I tell you what, you know, if my mom was in here and she was talking about that, I would say, shh. Don't talk about that. My mom would always talk about things like that in our home. I was like, don't. When my buddies come over, do not talk about that. Okay, and Paul just, and then she would always say something like, well, Paul talked about it. (laughs) Splogon. It means the intestines. However, when Paul uses it, what he's referring to is the deepest felt emotions. And so when he refers to splogon, it's typically going to be translated the tenderest mercies, the sincerest affections. And so, for God is my record, says Paul, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Okay, that wouldn't be how I would choose to translate that. And there it is. You see, Paul, and say, God, he's saying, God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the sprogon in the tenderest of affections. Where is he finding those affections? They're in Jesus Christ. You see, he has access to something. One of the things we're going to discover in Christianity is that Jesus Christ has brought something from heaven to us so that we could share in it. Paul understands this. It's the sincerest, the tenderest of affections for the redeemed. For the body of Christ. Paul says again, you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, 
but Christ is all and in all. Now, in our generation, we don't necessarily use that list to describe the things that cause our affections to cease. For instance, there are certain ones, certain people in this world that are Christians that we don't necessarily have much affection for. So we start with even this group, and there are certain in this group that you have a tender affection for. And we say, praise God for that. That, That's a wonderful thing. And there's others in this group that get under your skin. And your affections are hindered and curtailed because of certain differences or certain things, certain issues that you have faced. And as a result, there is a hindrance to a flow of affection. You do not have the tenderest mercies, the sincerest affections towards them. Well, now let's go outside this room. There's there's a body of Christ all over this world, and we have division, and we have discord amongst us. And so here we have Paul talking about we put off the old man. You know that one man that used to divide, that used to find difference and come up with reason why it should separate? You've put off that old man, and you've put on a new man. And this new man, in this new man, there is neither Greek nor Jew. By the way, that's a huge separation. Circumcised nor uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. You try and get a slave master and a slave to get along, and you know what? You have a very interesting challenge on your hand. You know what the book of Philemon is written about? That exact thing. We're taking an impassable separation of a, of, a, of a man who has a slave, known, known as Onesimus, and Paul is writing on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon, saying, will you receive him as a brother? Will you receive him? He was born of my bowels, of my very splogon. He shares my deepest affections. If you have affection for me, receive him the same. What do you think Jesus would be writing to us? You see, this church was born out of his splogon out of his very side, out of the innermost part of his being. And if you care about me, says Jesus, then you share the same affection for one another. Whoa. Yeah, the book of Philemon is written to us. Not just to the old man way back when named Philemon, the guy that kisses. He says, aren't you that guy? Aren't you the one that has reason to separate? Aren't you the one that has reason to say, whoa, he ran away from me. He left me. He he shouldn't have done that. That was a behavior that I cannot accept. And Paul pleads with him to say, couldn't it be that the reason he left is so that he could return and you could share in an intimacy and a depth of brotherhood that you would have never had otherwise? Can't you recognize how the body of Christ is knit together, Philemon? You see, there's neither slave nor free in the body of Christ. Therefore, This is the conclusion. Therefore, is a good conclusive statement. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, you're supposed to put on something. Yeah, it's sort of an awkward thing to consider putting on. You're supposed to put on the splogon, the bowels of mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, we are given a very specific command And that is to give the splogon, to give the affections of God the same way he gave them to us. So how did he give them to us? He did not put condition, requirement of perfection upon us. He covered our weakness. He has every reason to have a grudge against us. 
He has every reason to be perturbed with us. And yet he expressed his splogon to us. He gave up his life to express a tender affection towards us. He says, the same way I did towards you, you do towards each other. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Greet all the brethren. So as the statement goes, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. So one of the things that we could do to sort of try and slip out of this is like, well, it says brethren. You know, and I'm not exactly sure what that means. And so as a result, until we get clarity on that, I, I really can't function in this. Yeah, so I'm going to share with you what brethren is. <laughs> Who are these that we are to kiss? In the Greek, the word is adelphos, which translated means brethren. But to you, brethren is just a nice sounding churchy word. Let's break it down. It comes from the word delphos, which means a womb. A mother's womb, the place of life, and from which life comes forth. So when you add the alpha in the front, you end up with adelphos, which means from the same womb, sharing the same parent, having the same birthplace, the same brothers, sisters, and siblings. This is your brethren. You have the same father. You have the same redeemer. You have the same birthplace. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we share something, and we are called the brethren. And you are to greet the brethren with a holy kiss. The brethren, the Adelphos. A simple way of saying it for our sakes is the twice born of the same spiritual womb. Those who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore have the same heavenly father and share an inextricable and undeniable kinship. Listen to John wax eloquent about the Adelphos in his book. Now, this is when it says the Adel when it says brethren, it it's it's talking about the Adelphos. And so I've replaced that out and I've stuck in the word that you now know. It's those that share the same spiritual womb, that were born anew because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the way we treat these particular people on earth is of the utmost importance. We know that we have passed from death to life. How do we know that? I've been trying to figure this out. How would I know that I've passed from death to life? I really want to know that. Because we love the Adelphos. We love those of the same spiritual womb. He who does not love the Adelphos abides in death. Whoa. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the Adelphos. But whoever has the world's goods and sees the Adelphos in need and shuts up his heart from them, how does the love of God abide in him? If someone says, I love God, and hates the Adelphos, he is a liar. For he who does not love the Adelphos, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love the Adelphos also. Now it doesn't clarify, John is a very difficult writer 
to read. Because he's so childlike in his expression, he's so straight to the point, he doesn't mince words. Paul, at least we can excuse ourselves based on confusion. (laughs) With John, he just says it so clearly that we are left with very simple statements. He who loves God must love the Adelphos also. Can't wiggle out of that one. It's a simple statement of fact. You say you love God, then you must love those that are from the same spiritual womb. Those that have been born anew in Christ Jesus have looked upon that cross as their birthplace and have said, I, Lord Jesus, find my life in you and nowhere else. We might be of different races and tongues and persuasions. We might come from different heritages, different upbringings, which cause friction between us. Some of you came from affluent backgrounds. Some of you not so affluent. Some of you speak English well. Some of you don't. And as a result, we have tendency to have division amongst us just on natural heritage and race, let alone the divisions of denominational persuasion and emphases within the body of Christ and how we all look at the Bible. And as a result, the enemy has played us like a fiddle. And instead of showing the world how the body of Christ ought to function, we show the world how it's not supposed to function. If we love God, well, we show that and we prove that by our love for the Adelphos. The perverted kiss, the perverted phileo, the kiss of the world, And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Judas was amongst the disciples, and yet he gave a kiss that was not sincere. He gave a kiss of his own advantage, for his own self-gain, and he betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss, with a phileo. See, a phileo is a very, very significant thing in Scripture, and if you study it, you'll begin to realize that it holds a role. It holds a place, and it can be used properly, and it can be used improperly. You know that if we were to bring up things like baptism, you know the Bible doesn't just go on and on about baptism. It does in different ways because there's a spiritual baptism of being put in Christ. However, the ordinance of baptism, the practice of physical baptism with water is not just discussed over and over again. It's demonstrated in different situations and discussed briefly. And the same with communion. Communion isn't just talked about constantly. It's referenced, it's shown, and then it's talked about briefly. When we deal with a kiss, it's actually boom, 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 boom. Do it. And yet, you know how many abuses have come in baptism? And how many funny ideas and doctrines have been woven into this? And yet we still practice it. You know how many odd things have been woven into communion that have messed it up and you know, people are getting drunk on the wine? I mean, what are they doing? Let's not do communion anymore. There are reasons why maybe we should throw out baptism in communion. However, why do we not greet one another with a holy kiss? I could give you my short list. It's going to be the same types of things of why maybe we should throw out communion and baptism. However, I'm going to tell you, don't throw those out. But we have thrown out 
greeting one another with a holy kiss. Do you see my indirect argument here? Of saying, with the weight that we have of how a kiss is an external emblem of affection within the body, and that if you travel the world, they have no shame in just coming up to you and kissing you as a brother. When I was in Australia, one of the most awkward moments still in my life thus far is when I was leaving a Bible study, and I reached down to grab something and stood up, and this girl came up and you know, just stuck a kiss right on my cheek. And I'm there with my new wife, and I'm just like, ah, uh, all right, well, we'll see you guys. I'm thinking, what was that? I just had no grid, no place for this. And the last thing I want to do is scare everyone that comes to this church. It's like, I don't want to necessarily be known as the kissing church. But I do. But the right sort of kiss. I don't want to just, you know, every new person that comes in, they just get a kiss planted right on their cheek and everyone's like, whoa, what is this? But I want to be a kissing church. I want to be a church that shows the outward signs of affection one for the other. The holy kiss, in contrast with what Judas did to Jesus, the kiss of the body of Christ. Thou gave me no kiss, says Jesus, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to catophileo my feet. I'll explain the word catophileo as we move forward. It's a very, very powerful word. However, Jesus is saying Look, there's a certain kiss. You see it in, in Judas, which isn't very long after this scene. There's a false kiss. And then there's a kiss that is so genuine, Jesus cherishes it. Hey, guys, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you participating? Look at what this woman has done. The phileo gospel. The kissing gospel. A.K.A. the gospel of the kiss. We are all... Philatos. Now you'll recognize Phil. Remember Phileo, the kiss? Philatos, which means lovers or kissers of ourselves. So when you see Paul's writings, he's going to use the word Phil at the beginning of a lot of different words. And what it would mean is lover is typically how it's translated. One that loves himself would be a Philatos. Actually, it's one who kisses and shows affection to themselves. Their affection is turned inward, and they only care about themselves, and they kiss themselves, sort of like leaning into the mirror and kissing yourself. That's the concept of philatos. Lovers are kissers of ourselves. We are also philargaira. Lovers are kissers of money. Philodonos. Lovers are kissers of pleasure, and not philotheos, which is lovers and kissers of God. But because of Jesus, we have been transformed. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he transforms us. He touches us in the very center of our affections and changes them so that we genuinely and rightly kiss. We phileo. We become true philotheos, lovers and kissers of God. And he changes each one of us into philadelphos, lovers and kissers of the brethren. This is how the gospel works. This is how it's evidenced in us. We are turned outward. The affection is twisted. We are designed to give affection. But our affections are all towards ourself and towards self-gain, towards self-comfort. But when we come unto the cross, that is changed within us. And now that flow through channel like a pipeline exits outward. And we love God and we love each other. 
And this is the evidence that we have gone from death unto life. The evidence that we have been born anew is that we love one another. Philadelphia, a very important city in this country, and that you actually know what it means. It's brotherly love. Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Phila, the kiss, the, that, that brotherly affection, Adelphia of the womb, the tender kisses of the church, known as Philadelphia. Be kindly affectionate to one another. This is actually what we are commissioned to be. And even the word kindly affection is such a rich word that would take an entire message to unpack. But it has to do with phil, just like all these other words, the kiss of storge. It's a certain type of love and affection that is cultivated within family. Be kindly affectionate to one another with philadelphia, with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. That is the framework of everything. Everything we've been talking about over these past three weeks is so replete and thick and dense within Scripture. Everything about the functionality of how we are to work and interact with each other is so massive. And yet we oftentimes will take one random Scripture over here and one over here and build our case of why we need to divide with the body. And yet that body is being instructed in love. The primary doctrine of the New Testament is that. It is love. And so when we begin to come in alignment with that, we realize that this is a primary. I've oftentimes said that we have all sorts of different heresies. And you know, most of the division is over doctrinal heresy. And we allow character or moral heresy in our body all the time. So we'll say, oh, look at that doctrinal heresy. Well, what about the moral heresy of not loving? What about the fact that you're shutting up the splogon and not allowing your life to be given as a sacrifice for the body around you? What about that? Haven't you heard all the commands on that, which is so much more clear than the doctrine that you're splitting over? How about we center ourselves on that which matters most, showing Jesus, not just talking about him. I'm all for sound doctrine, don't get me wrong. But if in the giving of our sound doctrine, we are not sound in our living, one with the other. Do we see a contradiction there? This is where we are first measured. We are first measured in our love for one another. Are we succeeding there or are we failing there? But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Hey, Paul, you're not talking to the Thessalonians here in Windsor. I, I think you do need to talk to us about this. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But are, do we know this? I have a hunch we need this message. And I'm not actually saying that you guys are just flailing about in the opposite direction. I'm just saying I think we need a correction at the deepest part of our being to begin to love and to show an affection and to accept the fact that this is clear in Scripture and not try and find a loophole to get out. I want us to face the word of God clearly. I do not want us to try and run and hide behind something. I want us to say, this is what God says. Now, there are some of you in here that could look around and say, well, okay, well, I know that they're a brother in the Lord, sure. But they're sure off in this point. So how do we deal with that? 
If they're really off in that point, can I really have fellowship with them? Those are the challenging issues I think we face, but we're also, that very idea is sponsored as a priority in the church of Jesus Christ. Denominationalism is a priority. Love is not a priority. And I would say if you study the New Testament, you're going to find the exact opposite to be true. It's not that God doesn't care about sound doctrine. He does, because you will not live a healthy life if you sponsor bad thoughts of God. But the priority, you will know my disciples by this, by their sound doctrine, by the fact that they're eloquent on these points, by their soteriological viewpoint, by their eschatological viewpoint, by what day they celebrate the Sabbath. That is not how you will know my disciples, says Jesus. You will know them by their love, their agape love, one for another. That's how they will be marked. Let brotherly love continue. The disciples of Christ, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's that's what it all bakes down to. That's how it will be marked amongst us. The world will know that we are genuine disciples because of this. If this is absent, they have reason to wonder. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. The very front end of that phrase and that sentence is what stands out to me. And above all things. In other words, we have our different priority points in the body of Christ, in in the way that the church has functioned and fashioned. However, above all things, if we were to get together and say, okay, guys, we're going to build a church here, what should be our priority points? Of course, you already know my priority point, Jesus Christ. He's the center. He's what it's all about. That will not be diminished. And we're all like, okay, I agree with that. He's the head of the church. That's good and biblical. Now what? Well, let's see. What did Peter say on this point? Above all things, let's have fervent love for one another. Let's build a church where that's a priority. Not something we try and tag on a few years into it and go, you know what, I think God does mention this. Let's see if we can inject it in. And I feel like the reason we're somewhat off balance at times as a church is because we're trying to tack on this fervent love one for another instead of building the entire idea of church around it. Incorrigibly cheerful versus incorrigibly kissy. So incorrigibly cheerful is a message about how to handle difficulty. And it is basically saying when you come unto Jesus Christ, there's a pipeline that is open to you. Imagine a pipeline connected from me to the heavenly realms. And it is packed full, it is stocked full, it is pressurized with pure, unadulterated heavenly joy. God has made his joy available to Eric Ludi. Not just to me. You can say, hey, and me too. And I can say, and you too. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are connected to the joy of God. However, there's a gate valve. It's like one of those steering wheel looking things and you have to open it or close it. And most of us start with it closed. And so we're we're like, wait, wait, you're saying that I have joy because I don't feel joy. Well, you have access to joy in Christ but you need to agree with the joy and you need to turn. And that's how faith works. It's like, no, no, you have it. And so you must agree with God. And so what I, what I teach in the message Encourageably Cheerful is that to the degree that you have downward pressure in your life, you have a greater measure of pressure of joy in your life to shoot upwards. And that's called leaping. 
Leap for joy. When you're falsely accused, you know what scripture commands you to do? Leap for joy. Spring up is the concept. And so as a result, you do not leap for joy because you feel joy. If you're waiting for a feeling before you agree with scripture, you're never going to have it that way. What you do is you leap, and your leaping is the turning of the gate valve. When you agree with God and obey, the gate valve turns and joy comes in. I had two distinct circumstances this past week. Both of them extremely challenging. Well, I guess it was in the last 10 days. Both extremely challenging circumstances that would typically put someone in the dirt, right? And I was leaping, not because, I mean, I felt like leaping, but because I was leaping. That's just what I do. I leap in these situations because I agree with God. He knows what he's doing. And you know what happened? I had such extreme joy in my life. In fact, it was, it was beyond any joy I've ever known in my life thus far. And I would say that. In other words, it was an enhancement to joy. Whatever joy I've known up to this point, it, it, it crested that. And I was even giddy. I don't know how else I could say it, but I was giddy and laughing. I'm laughing. What a strange situation. I could fully understand why Paul and Silas were singing in prison. It's like, I understand this. Practically, functionally, I'm learning this. Okay, So that's incorrigibly cheerful which means no matter what happens to you, they cannot take your cheer. No matter how dark life gets, it only increases your cheer. If you're thrown into prison, cheer. If you're falsely accused, cheer. You see, they can't knock it out of you. They can't snuff it out of you. They can't rob it from you. You're incorrigible, which means uncorrectable in your cheerfulness. They cannot do anything to stave off your cheer, to, to somehow... Get rid of your cheer. It's just there. It's unstoppable. So this is where I come to the idea of linking incorrigibly cheerful with the idea of incorrigibly kissy. You have an affection, an affection for the body of Christ that no matter what the body of Christ does to you, it doesn't stop your affection. And in fact, the more rude they are, If they falsely accuse you and it comes to the body of Christ, you know what? That you have a pipeline of splogon, the tender affections of God to be able to respond. However, most of us are waiting for a feeling of love towards the body before we just choose to love the body. We're saying, well, if I felt it, but I have nothing. I mean, it's just blank right here. Yeah, just like for joy, you get falsely accused and I guarantee your knees aren't feeling like leaping. That's not when you leap in the natural sense. Every other human on earth that only leans on what they have in their own strength will never leap in a situation like that. And yet you are called to. You see, what we have here is supernatural. And the only way for it to work is supernaturally. Which means we must agree with God and love each other. We must agree with God and forgive each other. We must agree with God and be kind to one another. Be patient with one another. No matter what the one another does to us. We're Christians and we have access to the pipeline of his grace. So therefore, when someone is rude to you, you love. And you love even before the feeling of love comes. You love because you love him. And you choose to show affection. You reach out and in a sense, you kiss their cheek. And as you do, you love them. You genuinely care about them. In other words, it's not false, it's true. 
It's genuine affection. You really do care about that person. But you're waiting to love them well when you feel that love. And I'm saying, obey the command and love them. And when you do, you turn the gate valve of God's splog on. His sincere and tenderest mercies towards that person who is saved by his shed blood. You know the hardest people? I think it's easier for many of us in here to love lost people than it is the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know, you can correct me on that. However, if you're like me and have, what, you know, 50 different knife wounds in the back, you can understand. I mean, I can give a full understanding of why some of you don't like being in church buildings, don't trust leadership in the church, and have a difficult time loving one another. Trusting each other, looking over your shoulder, wondering who's going to get you next. I understand. However, the one standing on this stage today arguably has more knife wounds than anyone else. So the one talking to you today is the one saying, I have chosen to love. I want to have an incorrigibly kissy face. One that will not stop showing symbols of affection even if all of you Turn me over to the enemies. And I end up rotting away in a prison cell. I want to love you the whole time. I want to choose, no matter your behavior, to love you. You know when you enter into a marriage, that's exactly the principle of how you enter into the marriage? It's not conditional upon them being a good spouse. You choose to love them. You choose to give your best to them, to lay down your life for them whether living in plenty or in want, whether sickness or in health. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. You have entered into a covenant. Don't you recognize what the communion of the body of Christ is? We have entered into something. And yes, we sure do wish that some people would just move away. Some people would catch the vision that that church on the other side of town is a little better than this one. And we're like, go, go, fly like a bird. At the same time, these are the very points where we can be proven, where the love of God can show its supernatural vigor. You guys ever remember the story by Reese Howells? He was, uh, I forgot, where, he was on an island trying to help a guy who was sick with tuberculosis, and a missionary heard that he was there and he was serving this man, and so the missionary got him set up in the fisherman's rest. And the fisherman's rest was this like rat bug-infested basement area, one of the most disgusting, stinky places on earth. And Reese Howells knew that this guy had somewhere else better for him that he could have had him stay. And even one of the other missionaries go, he put you here? He put you down here? He, ha he could have put you over here. And that was, of course, bait for Reese Howells. And Reese Howells made a decision in that situation. He said, God, do not remove me from the fisherman's rest until it becomes heaven to me. And I can love that man with your sincerest affections. Don't let me get out of here until I learn how to fully access what you have given to us as the saints. If you find yourself in a circumstance right now where someone is very unlovely to you and you just really wish they would go somewhere else, I want you to take that as your fisherman's rest. And I want you to say, God, don't let me out of this situation until I can love them the way you love them. Allow God to teach your soul this. Open up the gate valve by obeying choosing to love them, choosing to bless them, not based on condition of their perfection. You know what? Most of us in here know that we should submit to our governing authorities and that we should show respect to our president even if he is passing laws that we are completely opposite against and totally would denounce as far as on paper. 
And yet if he walked in here, you know that I would tell each and every one of you to respect our president and show him honor. He's still our president. We can understand that. And that's secular thinking scripturally. But spiritual thinking, the way we handle each other is so many miles beyond that. The amount of grace we have for one another is so much greater than the amount of grace we even have for a lost world out there. This is where we start. And if we can't love each other here, God says you're lying when you tell me that you love me. Don't hate your brother and then come to me and say you love me. This is where you start. You prove your love for me right here. Ouch. Incorrigibly cheerful versus incorrigibly kissy. They can't stop you from kissing the body. The body cannot do its worst to get you to stop. You will continue to show affection no matter the bruises, no matter the wounds that you have. And I'm guessing, I don't know your age in here, but if you're over probably about 20, you at least have one wound, a war wound from hanging out in the church of Jesus Christ. And in this group, I mean, I love people, and I genuinely want to create an environment that is hospitable to the body of Christ, that is protective for the body of Christ, and yet, I guarantee you, in this room, I've hurt people. Not intentionally, but I'm sure I have. If we don't learn how to be excellent Christians, we will fail in this battle. The enemy wants to bait us to turn against each other instead of towards each other. And I want to commission you today to say, let's do this God's way. Our kiss is an outward evidence of an inward reality. So I mentioned baptism. Baptism is an outward evidence of an inward reality. You're not saved by going in and out of water. That's merely an enunciation and a confession of your salvation in Christ. You were baptized and put into Christ by faith. And so then you come before the body and you make an outward declaration of an inward reality. Well, communion is the same. You know that Christ enters you by faith? It's called the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and that happens by faith. It doesn't happen by communion, and yet communion is a celebration of the work of the cross and the giving of that Holy Spirit to live within you. Jesus Christ literally becoming a digestible. He's food and he's drink, and he enters in and changes. The grace of God is at large within us, and communion is an external reality or emblem within the body of an internal reality. The kiss of the church. It's interesting, but as I'm going through this, it's obvious why we still practice baptism and communion. And I think all of us in here would be like, yeah, and I think we still should. It's been an amazingly edifying thing to all of us in here whenever we do it. Well, well uh, what do we do with this one? The kiss of the church. It's, Christ, it's an outward symbol that Christ's love is real and active in and through us by faith. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Greet each other. Salute each other with a holy kiss. Greet the brethren with a holy phileo. It's an outward statement of an internal reality. We have affection for one another. And so therefore, the commission is, and it seems to be on and on, five different times in the New Testament, do it. We know that we have passed from death to life. How, John? Because we love the Adelphos. We love the brethren. He who does not love his brother, the Adelphos, abides in death. Okay, so I'm just going to get it out on the table. This is not something to mess with. This is not something to even argue with internally. I say it's something we just quickly come to a point of agreement on 
that we want to be lovers of the Adelphos. God, whatever it is that blockades our soul, whatever offense there may be that is tripping us, I pray, Lord, that you would show us the remedy in your love. You showed us the remedy on the cross, your love for us, and it has broken down every barrier, every offense between us and you. And we plead the same blood in this situation, the same love that demonstrated such a powerful reunion and reconciliation between God and man. And I pray, Lord, that that same reunion between man and man would take place through it as well. Give us that love. Amen. Twelve ways you can practically kiss the brethren based on the pattern of how God kissed us. I am not necessarily coming to a place, and I wouldn't just do it anyways, just in how we set up leadership here. I would submit it to the pastoral leadership if we should be implementing a kiss, okay? I just, just know that there could be ramifications to this if, you, if, you, if I come up to you and kiss you on the cheek in the future. However, practically speaking, what this symbolizes is an outward emblem Whether or not it's an actual physical kiss of lips to cheek or lips to hand or lips to feet, which, by the way, they all could be argued, it's an outward symbol of an inward affection. And that is what we want to specialize in here as the body of Christ. So these are 12 ways you can practically kiss the brethren, and this is based on the pattern of how God kissed us. You can choose to become small and weak. You can make others important, encourage, inspire, exhort, and give words of life. It's a practical thing. You see, when you become small and weak, what you're saying is others can be strong. You are giving up your strength for others, and this is how Jesus kissed us. He became small and weak. He became a worm and no man that we would become strong. You can choose to be overlooked, underappreciated, and rejected. What a strange thing to do. However, do you know that if you choose to become small and weak instead of big and important, you actually can function in the love of Christ a lot easier than if you think of yourself as big and important, it just really messes things up. And in this one, you know that if you choose to be looked at, appreciated, and found uh, very special uh, in our midst, that it actually becomes extremely difficult to functionally work as a body, but if all of us are willing to be overlooked, it's like, no, no, I've already chosen. We can say, I'm so sorry, I forgot you in this situation. No, no. I already chose. See, I get a special grace when I'm overlooked. And as a result, it is actually sort of a privilege. Thank you. If we choose to be overlooked, underappreciated, and rejected, appreciate others and make sure no one is forgotten. You see, you're concerned about being forgotten. You're concerned about being overlooked, and that's the very issue. What if you start thinking about others not being overlooked? What if all of us are actively engaged in making sure there's not one person in this room that is forgotten? Don't worry about you. You think about others. This is how Jesus worked. Make sure the hurt are healed, the overlooked are seen. Don't let a single person in the church go unloved and and unappreciated. Choose to take a low place, even in humble circumstances with humble people. There's certain ministries in our world that get applause, and people esteem them. And there's other ministries that don't get any applause. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you have to talk about them to get the applause. You have to say, oh, yeah, no, we, you know, we went on the streets last night and ran into someone that was very smelly. And then they're like, oh, how, how neat. But you have to, like, bring it up. It's not public. You see, when you do go to humble places and take a low position and minister to humble people, there's not a lot of glory in that. And yet, that's love. And if you choose to do that in here, 
You know, there's humble circumstances even in this very room, and there's humble people in this very room, that if we make that a ministry of ours, every single one of us has the same ministry, to love one another. And we all specialize in these things. Choose to forgive. Forgive others their mistakes, their failures, their weaknesses, no matter how grotesque, no matter how intentional. Let each and every hurt that comes your way be transformed instantly into fertilizer for your soul. The way that we describe it at Ellerslie is people will come up and just dump a big pile of manure on your life. It's not your manure. It's theirs. And there it is in your life, in your soul, your circumstances. Great. How you handle that will define if it ruins your soul or if it actually benefits your soul. You know that if you till that manure, it turns into fertilizer and it actually makes that property more green, more lush. Your flowers grow more beautiful, more colorful. Every circumstance in your life, when you choose to forgive God's way, it actually greens up your life. It's a funny thing. You see, one of the things that we could talk about too is, because I know it bothers some of us, that one person keeps doing that one thing. And then you talk with them and they are humble and they, they seek forgiveness. You're like, all righty then. And then what do they do? They do that thing again. Now, at what point do you finally say, that's it, we're not forgiven at this go around? Uh, the scriptures are actually pretty clear on it. That point we don't come to. You see, you forgive even if they seem to continually do that one thing. We forgive. Now, if they are unrepentant in their sin, there's a different process that we walk through in the church. And it's still love, ironically. But within the church, there's going to be a lot of briars. There's going to be a lot of tripping points. There's going to be a lot of things that aren't necessarily very pleasant. We're being sanctified. And in the process, you deal with people in Christian ministry and in the church. And it's not golden retrievers. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm just dreaming for a second there, but I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> Could you imagine if this was just a room full of golden retrievers? Doesn't that just sound fun? All of you are called to the ministry instantaneously. But it's not that. God, Jesus Christ didn't shed his blood for golden retrievers. And that's nothing against golden retrievers. I, I really like them. He shed his blood for you guys, for humans. He did. That's what he prized. That's what he said had the value, eternal value. Choose to submit. Submit to those assigned to your spiritual care. This is how you can practically kiss the body. You know that when you don't submit to those who are responsible for your spiritual care, it actually creates a very difficult flow of love in the body? Listen to them, honor them, respect them, and love them with your words and your thoughts. Pray for their weaknesses, and that automatically assumes that those that are assigned to your spiritual care probably have them but encourage their strengths. Lift up their hands in the battle for truth. Number six, choose to suffer. You know that life is very difficult if you don't choose to suffer and you just suffer? But when you choose, it's the old statement that says Jesus wasn't taken. He gave himself. And that's the way you live. You see, you're not suffering on the enemy's uh, terms. You gave yourself. You gave yourself to the body of Christ. And in doing so, you're risking something. You're risking a hurt and a pain that otherwise you may not have had. And yet there's a very special grace for you when you do that. And so when you choose to suffer, I know it's a strange place because we should suffer at the hands of evil men and not suffer within the body. Yet there is a suffering. 
Jesus' suffering came not from the Romans, from the Israelites, and from the teachers of the law, from the church leadership, if you want to just get down to brass tacks. Jesus suffered from them. And I want us to choose to love the body and to be willing to suffer within the body. To receive suffering as a gift and don't complain about it. Don't let personal suffering turn you inward and rob the flow of love through you towards the body of Christ. But instead, let suffering refine you, mature you, and teach you obedience. Let suffering grow you up and explain to you the love of God more perfectly. Seven, choose to be silent. That doesn't mean you always are silent, but I want you to choose to be willing to be silent. In the moments when your words would hurt others, be silent. In the times when your words might slight or offend, remain quiet. In the seasons when your critique might diminish and divide the body of Christ, command your tongue into a place of loving stillness until God corrects and then releases you to speak the words that edify and sweeten the souls of the body. Number eight, choose to love. Pull a Jesus. See, the very spirit of Christ is in you, and he is calling you down to serve, to take low place, and to give of your life to others. Choose to receive the nails. Choose before they even come. There are going to be grievances against your soul. Receive them, and in so doing, give life, give love, give affection. Choose to share all that you have. Do you guys remember that story of uh, two Chinese Christians, and they're sitting on a hard, I think it was an earthen surface. It's frigid cold. All they have is a thin blanket. And one of the Chinese Christians looks over at his brother. I mean, they can't even keep themselves warm. It's just too cold in there. And he has the thought, if that were Jesus, would I give him my blanket? All he had was a thin blanket, but he had a thin blanket to give. And he said, if that were Jesus, I would gladly give him my blanket. I want us to choose to look around this room and say, if that was Jesus sitting next to me, if that was Jesus in this circumstance, how would I treat them? Because our answer to our practical involvement with them is actually very different when we treat it that way. Because this is exactly what Jesus says. You see, if you say you love me, but don't love that which represents me, that which I have chosen, that which I have shed my blood for and given my affections to, as Paul said, receive Onesimus. Receive him because he's, he's from my own splogon. And Jesus is saying to you, Yes, you'd have reason to punish him. Yes, you would have a rightful case against Onesimus. I understand. But would you receive him, says Jesus? Would you receive him? He was born of my very affection. And I treat him as my dearest son. Would you receive him and love him the way I love him? Well, how could you say no to that? Uh, of course, Jesus. And that's how we function as a body. Choose to rejoice. Choose to. In those moments when you get a dagger in the back or you get a false accusation from you, someone slurs, slanders, diminishes you, you know what to do, don't you? Open the pipeline by leaping. Choose to rejoice. Choose to obey. And when you do, you have grace. And this is a big, long one. Choose to allow the splogon affection of Christ to flow without capping it. See, what we have a tendency to do is they don't deserve that. And we don't allow the affection of Christ to flow through us. Freely you've received it, freely given. 
Freely give the affection that Jesus Christ has bestowed on you. Has he bestowed it on you? Did he pour out his shed blood for you? Did he love you in your weakness? Did he love you when you weren't smelling all that good? Did he love you even when you spoke against him, even when you disobeyed? Did he love you? Yes, he did. Then let that love flow through you to others. Don't cap it. Great peace have they which love thy law. Listen to this. And nothing shall offend them. Great peace. You know how much of peace we could have in here if nothing could offend us? Nothing. It's impossible to offend. If someone's laying in a grave and we dug up their body, I know, it's not the prettiest picture, and then we, you know, like, cursed at them and kicked them, you know what they don't get offended? It's a strange thing, but dead men don't get offended. If you're dead, truly, to self, to self-interest, to your agenda, you can't get offended. It's that simple. So as a result, I want you to live that way. Put off the old and live in a new man that has sincere affection for the body because this is the mark of that new man. It's love. Letting love lead. Helping versus tattling. And I gave this illustration on Tuesday night. But tattling in the body of Christ is just not helpful. Tattling in a home environment is just not helpful. Okay, it actually has a secret desire to see someone else punished. It's like so-and-so is doing such and such. And why are you telling me this? Oh, because I, I, just, I just thought you should know. You see, you desire someone else's punishment and harm. And yet, what Jesus would say is, I want you to love your brother. Even when he's doing that one thing you know he shouldn't, I want you to love him. And there's different ways you can love him. You can say, hey, please don't do that. You know, mommy and daddy told us that we shouldn't be uh, hanging out the window by our toenails. Let's, let's not do that. You see, there's appeal. There is brotherly rebuke even within the body. But there is a protection of dignity and honor. And there's also something we can tell. It's called helping. Someone's in danger. Their life is in danger. What should you do? You should speak. And so I don't want you to be muzzled in your love. I want you to be flowing. I want you to be moved by love to speak when you need to speak and stay silent when you need to be silent. Leading versus controlling. This is for leadership. You see, there's a form of leadership that is motivated by love and a desire to see everyone thrive. And there's another one that's baited by fear. And it's a concern that there are conspiracies around and we want to shut them down. And we don't want anyone to have any freedom in the body. We want everything to be looked at through a, you know, an eyeglass and we need to make sure that everyone's motive is just pure in this. You see, as a leader, you need to trust. There are wisdom points and there's ways to lead that lead to life. And there's ways that lead to exasperation for a body. It's micromanagement. Appealing versus complaining. In every situation, there is a proper way of handling everything in the church. And ironically, if you go through scripture, you're going to see that everything is addressed. And there's actually a model for how to handle these things. So what I want to appeal to you is that love isn't just silent and passive. Love is active. We were talking about the blanket carriers. We were talking about the Ham who exposed Noah's nakedness. And then you have Shem and Japheth who took a garment and backed up and covered his nakedness. Shem being the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is the behavior of atonement in Scripture. You atone or you cover a multitude of sins. How do you do it? You don't stare at the sin, 
but you still address it. They addressed the nakedness. How did they do it? By backing up and covering it with a garment. We have the shed blood of Jesus. We have the remedy. However, let's make sure we handle that remedy in the right way. You can appeal or you can complain. Speaking truth versus manipulating. This is an interesting illustration that was given to me this week by someone else. He was saying, you know what? I, I've been very impacted by an illustration. That he, so he heard it from someone who then he passed it on to me. And it's just really good. See, in every situation, there's a way. For instance, this was an example of a wife and a husband. And the husband has a propensity to spend a little more time in ministry mode than with his family. And so this is how it was said. Whenever he goes into too much ministry mode and he starts to disappear, there's a tendency in every woman to nag. What about your family? What about time with me? What about all these things? And then the man gets defensive and says, hey, look, I'm just trying to do the work of the kingdom. It's not very easy doing what I'm doing. See, replaying these different things that many of us have felt at times, right? This is what he said that she said. This is just beautiful. Instead of saying, you should be home, you shouldn't be doing this, she comes up to him and says, honey, I miss you. I haven't seen you as much as I wish I could. And she kisses him on the cheek. It's like, hmm, how could a man not respond well to that? <laughs> and in every situation, in a sense, there is an I miss you solution and a nagging solution. And what I want to appeal to us is in every situation, there's a flesh solution, one that comes out of self and one that comes out of the spirit of grace. There's one that harms and there's one that kisses. And what I want us to encourage one amongst each other is to always give the kiss, to be incorrigibly kissy in all of our interactions, being approachable versus being scary. As leadership, it's very, very important that you are not so strong in your leadership that people do not feel comfortable coming up to you. So they actually see something that they want to address and they want to ask a scriptural question, but they feel like you're just going to eat them for lunch if they do. Again, that's an issue of love. There needs to be an approachability. And one of the things you could always say is Jesus was approachable. Little kids come out of the crowd and climb up on his lap. That, whatever that is, is what we need here. Amongst our leaders, amongst the parenting here, we want little children to feel comfortable coming up to us. And that's how a healthy family works. So remember I said that there was a word that was beyond kissing? See, phileo is kiss. Cataphileo, to kiss much. To kiss again and again. To kiss tenderly. To kiss earnestly. Cataphileo. Isn't that a beautiful word? And he arose and came to his father. What story is this? This is the prodigal. Remember the one that really blew it? You know what we see in this picture is we see the nature of the father towards those that blow it, that repent and return. I want you to watch very closely to this because what you're going to see is you're going to see the nature of our heavenly father in this. And as you see the nature of the heavenly father, I want you to long for that nature. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and cataphileo him, kissed him earnestly, kissed him again and again. This is a son who is not deserving. He's of 
the same Delphos, the same womb. He's brethren. And when that brethren approached in humility, brokenness, the father ran. And you could say, oh, for such a father. Jesus was the perfect enunciation to us of the father. He's talking about a father, and then what does he say? And when you've seen me, you've seen the father. What did Jesus do? He ran to us. He cataphileo, kissed us earnestly, again and again, with sincerity and the tenderest affections. What do you think the cross is? It is the giving of his kiss. It is the life of God imparted. Though we crucified him, he kissed. Though we are responsible for his sufferings, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So here's our response to the one who reveals the Father to us. She stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And then Jesus says, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Cataphileo, earnestly kissing. What does she see? She sees her Savior. She sees the one worthy of her very life, of her fragrant oil worth a year's wages. She's willing to dump it out. She's willing to give everything away. She's willing to sacrifice all, take the lowest position, be falsely accused by those walking into the room. They have no grid for the kissing that she's giving. They have no understanding who she's kissing is of the utmost value to her soul. And if Jesus could finish this message, he would say, do you see how that woman kissed me? So I ask, you kiss each other. So I ask, remember Jesus removing his outer garment, wrapping a towel around his waist, bending his knee and washing his disciples' feet? Just as you saw me, Take a low position and wash and tenderly show a picture of affection and mercy to you. I want you do, to do this to one another. Jesus has given us a model. He's given us a pattern. He's shown us how the outward affection is demonstrated. We must respond to this message by saying yes. God, I, I don't know exactly what this looks like, and I don't know if we just start greeting each other with the kiss. Let's just make sure it's a holy one. Did you guys ever hear, it was like second semester Ellerslie, I had a group of Canadian girls that came up to me uh, during a break, and, and I said, yes, can I help you? They said, uh, we have a kiss for you, or something like we have kisses for you, I think is what they said. I'm like, oh, I had just mentioned the holy kiss the day before in, in a sort of a joking way. And they all whipped out little Hershey's kisses, and it had kiss written on it. And they all supplied me with a kiss. Uh, so if that's what we need to do, I'm fine. <laughs> However, it must become practical. It must become evidenced. It must become real. There's a commission in Scripture for us to kiss as Christ kissed. For us to love as Christ loved. And it's not just some random lost person on the other side of the world. It's right here. And if we fail here, we have no business going out there. This is where we are proven. 
Yes, it's hard. And yes, there's some unloveliness in this room. Praise God for it. And exercise that which God has given you. Leap, run to it, and allow the gate valve to be opened. Are you ready to be incorrigibly affectionate? No matter what happens to you in this body, you've already chosen. You're going to kiss. No matter how difficult it gets, you've already chosen, whether in sickness or in health, whether living in plenty or in want, whether being overlooked or seen, whether being put in position of leadership or never put in leadership, you have chosen to love and to serve, to give just as Jesus gave to you. Let's be Christians. As Jesus Christ was unto us, let's allow him to be unto each other. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.